If she ever kisses you, I'll turn you into a prince. You will? Prince of the land of stench! <laughs> Greetings, mortals, and welcome to A Podcast But Evil. I'm Doug Leaf. I'm Dan Oster. And we have with us a very special guest today for this episode on Jareth the Goblin King. Uh, Let me give a quick introduction to our guest. You may have seen her on Hulu's Difficult People. She is also, uh, she plays the role of Mora in the series finale of Transparent. Uh, she's also known for her one-woman show, uh, Manifest Pussy, which uh, is a badass title if I ever heard one. I <laughs> am lucky enough to know her from third grade. Uh, she is our <laughs> resident babe with the power for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Shakina Nafak. Hey, y'all. Yay. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Glad to. to be here with you guys. So excited to have you here. I, I really, when I reached out to you to do this episode, I asked, you know, who would you want to talk about? And you mentioned Jareth. Uh, Instantly. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my first question is, why, why was he the person that uh, came immediately to mind? Well, when I knew that you were doing a podcast about villains, I was like, who is the sexiest villain? And of course, David Bowie. So, Jared, <laughs> it was like, it was instant. It was like, that was, that thought chain happened in microseconds. Right. Earth's <laughs> sexiest hero, David Bowie, played the sexiest villain, Jared. Right. Exactly. The Goblin King, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about the sexiness of David Bowie as it interrelates to this particular movie, because I was surprised when I was doing my background research on, like, how front and center that was. For, like, the people making the movie, I always kind of thought that that was, like, oh, yeah, happy accident. Or, like, well, we cast David <laughs> Bowie, and we when we brought in David Bowie, he brought a tornado of sex with him. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know but, what was front and center in that movie. Oh, no, I allocated... I, this podcast usually goes for, like, an hour. I figured we'd have a good 25 minutes on The Bulge. <laughs> yes, The Bulge is, is formative. Yeah. It's a... Yeah, it's an iconic bulge. Yeah, was the... <laughs> Uh, it goes on the route Rushmore of bulges. Yeah, yeah, right along with like the castle on the VHS copy of The Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, <laughs> the penis castle. <laughs> um, was there something about this character that was like uh, we were all born in the early '80s, so I assume we all encountered this movie in our in our youth. Was there something about this movie and the character that spoke to you back when you saw it originally, or was this something you kind of came back to later? Or? You know, well, I mean, it's funny because. You'd think that I, like when I was younger, would have identified more as a Sarah because like I was obsessed with Annie when like before Labyrinth, you know, I was like the little redhead in the dress. That's who I wanted to be. And then but then I found these pictures when I think I was like 10, maybe fifth grade. I actually was Jareth for Halloween, probably because I couldn't be Sarah. Honestly, that's what I'm going to guess. But I mean, what I saw back then was this sexy guy with glam makeup and big hair and tight pants and he was just everything I wished I could be at that time like his flamboyance and his elegance and his magical powers and the contact juggling Uh, (laughs) so yeah it was yeah exactly (laughs) and the bubble work really great bubble work in that film and yeah so I think I was just enchanted by him and I, I was thinking you know one of the like iconic lines that he has is he says like Love me, fear me, and I'll be your slave. How sexy is that? I don't even know what that means, and I find it very sexy. (laughs) 
Yeah, and he is saying it to like a fourteen-year-old girl too. Like he's not shy about <laughs> right. what he's doing. Yes, it's it's not uh, free from its own problematics. Is but, she? Is that how old she's supposed to be in it? Fourteen? She? I believe she was fifteen years old when she filmed it. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I wow. mean, she's definitely a a high schooler, a young high yeah. schooler. Yeah. Now, but in the the land of the goblins. <laughs> The age of consent is flexible. Right. I suppose so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, they... Uh, so, like I said, this came up when I was doing the little... The, the research that I do uh, for this was that... I, again, I always thought it was like a running joke about the movie that this was a thing. But the movie is very much a coming-of-age story, and this is a big component of it. And they went out of their way to cast David Bowie because he brought that energy with him. The, the, there's, they wanted a rock star because they thought, oh, a rock star will convey that kind of like uh, uh, dangerousness as well mm-hmm. as, you know, the ability to to sing and dance or whatever they want in the movie. Pop quiz on this. Do you know who the other two, there were at least two other rock stars considered for the role. Do you know who they were? Oh, I don't, but I want to guess Prince and Michael Jackson. Uh, I, I forgot there were three. Prince was one of them. Michael Jackson was oh, not. Right. But the, probably yep. for the best. Pro- yeah, Mel Torme. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and no. Bing Crosby. Uh, no, the the, the no. other two are Freddie Mercury was one. Oh, of course. Who you know, not terribly dissimilar wavelength from from David Bowie musically and kind mm-hmm. of in terms of like presentation. And the other was Sting. So if oh, you wanted a tan- a tantric Jareth, you could have had one. Yeah. Right. Wow. I can imagine Sting would play it in like the Broadway production. Steve would be the Goblin <laughs> yeah. King, yeah. you know, on the I mean, West. He might End. be, yeah, he might be doing it sometime soon. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, I think out of those, I think he was the he was the one that like if, if Bowie wasn't available, he's probably the best choice. I think Prince is probably a little too like Jareth is kind of has got to be kind of imposing and threatening too, as well as like you know all the musical stuff. And I don't think Prince yeah. fits that bill. Prince, it, it was a powerhouse, but his intimidation was yeah, like he was like sexually powerful, but you could also like step on him if he right, got in your way. Right, you, you know? wouldn't. Height is so important when it comes to casting, you know. And then you'd have to cast like a different uh, Sarah. Yeah, you know? or have all these Apple Box shots just right. like up up camera angles at prince's just, hairy uh, chest jennifer connelly we've dug a trench for you to walk through yeah uh, <laughs> now fred freddie mercury like vocally would have been astounding but i think by the time we made labyrinth i don't feel like he was the same sex symbol that he had been before it was what made, year was it 85 what, it was shot in 85 yeah. and uh came out in 86 okay i don't i don't even know when he died but but 91 I mean, I'm that was late in his life he died in 91, the I think. Okay. So. Yeah, I don't know if he was, like, sick then, but I don't remember Freddie Mercury. I think Freddie Mercury's sex symbol status was a few years before David Bowie's. But of course, we're I'm, like, a child of the 80s, so this was all happening in a zeitgeist that I knew nothing about, yeah. you know? And I'm then we just came in and we're like, David Rhapsody, Bowie is the sexy of... goblin king, and everyone else is like, no, he's Ziggy Stardust and has, like, a legacy of iconic transcendent glam rock right. that, like, shaped a generation. And we're like, no, he's the goblin king because <laughs> yeah, 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 goblin king. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, and like you said, I think for almost everyone our age, this was your introduction to Bowie. You know, yeah, um, and bulges. And bulges, yeah. Most, pretty much. Um, depending on your, your childhood may vary. Um, <laughs> your results may vary. Yeah. Um, uh, we should talk so about, Doug, we should, should we, yeah, let's start off we, with our usual uh, spiel. So, uh, Shakina, the way we usually kick this off is we ask Dan to give us what he knows about this character Having done no studying, <laughs> zero studying, it's usually pretty quick. Well, I, I, we've danced around it, but this uh, character, the Goblin King Jareth, is from the movie Labyrinth. Uh, as we just said, I believe it came out in eighty. 80- 
85 or filmed in 85. Uh, did Terry Jones write it? Yes. Co-write it? So mm-hmm. it was co-written by a, by a Python, a, Mon- yeah, no, a Monty wrote, Python. Not co-written, just written. He wrote it. Oh, just um, written. Yeah. Okay. And that, I didn't realize, I, I, I love Monty Python stuff. I fell in love with it a few years later and it wasn't until much later that I re- finally connected the dots of like, oh, no wonder this movie spoke to me so much. Like, it, there's so much Python DNA in the writing of this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies that's sort of like, you're, you know, from the Jim Henson workshop and you're sort of surprised that kids were allowed to see it. It's on the more, I would argue, like the more accessible side of like the Dark Crystal, which is like a little too disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and kids should not see it. Yeah. Labyrinth kind of lives in that space that's like, oh, wow, we we uh, gave our children some credit. It's in that space where, you know, I think, not to say like, hey, we coddle those kids today, but there is a little benefit to having your kids' media have a little streak of something scary in it. Yeah. And this is, like you said, the Dark Crystal is probably a little too far in the other direction. It's it's pretty adult and kind of scary. And there's no lightness to it. There's not a lot of like comedy in it. This movie is very much a comedy uh, from start to finish. Well, it's... Also, like you said, it's a coming of age story and there is an aspect to it. I mean, the fear aspect and the sexuality aspect are both important to that coming of age aspect. I was going to say, in the in the looking back on the what they said about the writing of it, um, they said that they they really wanted to emphasize Jareth as a a character that embodied sort of the adolescent idea of what a desirable character like that should be. So like he's hmm. he's not like a mature goblin king in some ways. Like he's kind of petulant in some ways. Mm-hmm. He's petty. Like he's cool, but then he's dangerous and then like not like there's definitely ways in which you go like this is a 14-year-old girl's idea of adulthood. Not hmm. not an actual adult. I also did no research before hopping on this podcast. I'm just going from memory here. But I'm suddenly wondering, like thinking back on other movies of the time that enchanted me in a similar way, are there other films that had the female point of view? You know, like were, was our lens following a female protagonist in any other film like this? Because like I'm thinking Never Ending Story, you know, it was a boy. I don't, I don't remember Dark Crystal. I don't know who we followed through that. It's a very effeminate gelfling creature but no an still, elfling, still, right an elfling gelfling yeah but like do yeah. we have any other teenage girl like because the same way twilight like made this whole thing for edward the vampire and jacob the werewolf it was like because we were looking at it through like teenage girl lust i and, don't and, know yeah i don't know if we had uh, a comparable female protagonist at least in the live action sense i mean this is very much an alice in wonderland kind sure. of a story to the point where mm-hmm. that book is there's a prominent shot of that book in the beginning of the movie they do the kind of they, they definitely do that nod to like the wizard of oz which you also see that book but like mm-hmm. it's all a dream and all of the components of the labyrinth all of the creatures she encounters and things there's like little things in her room like there's a toy that looks like sir didymus there's a, like an action figure that looks like jareth there's a bookend that looks like hoggle right like, it's right. all kind of there so i don't know if we had a live action equivalent although it is interesting when you think about some of the other movies that were around never ending story uh, legend that's another one where i mm-hmm. feel like the, the protagonists are sort of androgynous in a way yeah or, or, or very pretty yeah very pretty androgynous assigned male at birth <laughs> fantasy action heroes of the mid 80s <laughs> that's the netflix category that comes up for me right away anyway just to really quickly go through the basic plot uh, of the movie it is very much an alice in wonderland kind of story or, or, or wizard of oz sarah she's babysitting her younger brother i believe she's frustrated by this she 
she out of a book, right? She she has yeah, like some reading. incantation mm-hmm. to the Goblin King to take him away. She's sort of she's a theater kid, and she's being kind of yeah. She's Ren Faring out in the woods by herself. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it happens, and it happens. Yeah. Her her brother is spirited away, and now the movie is her going through this magical land trying to get him back. Because if she doesn't get him back by you know the stroke of midnight or something like that, then he'll become a goblin and under the under the thrall of the Goblin King. Right? Is that that's the basic. <laughs> thrust of the story that's basically it he kidnaps the baby and says you know you have 13 hours to solve the labyrinth and uh get him back and so that's what she sets off to do and it's very much a a hero's journey where she encounters turn back sarah before it's too late (laughs) yeah is he like kind of hover or something at that point i can't remember no but he becomes a white owl yeah Ah. he, he does turn into an owl here and there in the movie his like if you were to sit down and like map out like what his powers are they're a little nebulous, and I think part of that is uh, the thesis of the movie is is like nothing is what it seems. Everything is an illusion. Like, and the movie is constantly hammering that home, where like you know you meet the, these false alarm statues that tell you you know you're, they're warning you off of a danger when in fact you're going the right way. You meet the two guys. One of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies. You know, like there's everything is like not what it's supposed to be. Is that mean, like the opening for you to mention that tweet? <laughs> oh, I forgot about that tweet. We got to find that. That was really funny. Uh, we should give credit to the tweeter. I don't know the tweeter oh, who quoted it. Uh, but there was a tweet that was pretty funny recently, which was like, I like big butts and I cannot lie. I was like, I like little butts. And I well, no, no, it was, uh, it was one, of, one, of us, one, of us, one of us likes big butts and cannot lie. The other one always tells the truth. One of these doors yeah. leads to the the world's largest butt. The other leads to certain death. This is the dilemma of Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> That's the tweet. hysterical. I can't remember where it came from. It was when so worlds collide. Yeah. Yes. But like he, he sends out those like crystal balls, and they're always like illusions. It's always like, I'm going to trap you in a magical masquerade, which is really just bullshit designed to make you eat time off the clock so you can't get your brother back. Mm. And the only other thing I want to mention yeah. is that I always found it interesting that the Goblin King was this sexy, feathery-haired rock star, but all the goblins look like they're made out of boogers. It's like <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By a significant margin. <laughs> they do kind of go out of their way to make it seem like he is unhappy with his job, right? Yeah. Like he's, he's sitting there, he looks kind of bored, he's surrounded by all these like gibbering booger people. <laughs> and he's just like, kind of like, this is my lot in life. Um, yeah, I think that's why he wants to like take a child bride, spice things up. Yeah. The only other like human seeming entity in the whole place. Yeah. Yeah. There's only five humans in the entire movie. You've got Jareth, Sarah, Toby, the baby, and then her her dad and stepmom at the very beginning of the movie. And that's it. Everybody else is uh, a puppet. Great. So, so that's pretty much what I know. It ain't much. And now we can delve in deeper, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Where, where do you want to start? I, I mean, uh, I think he does appear multiple times throughout the movie, and they, they're always kind of these memorable, like the movie kind of lights up as soon as he, he shows up for one of these moments. There's, um, the, the, he like disguises himself as like a weird little beggar before like confronting them briefly. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. When, when he like puts the plastic in the cup and then he pulls, and then he pulls the cape off and stands up. I nothing? Think, like, nothing? Nothing? Tra la la. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder was that I wonder if that line is on in the script on paper or that's just Bowie just going tra la la like it's a very <laughs> yeah. odd ad lib. Nothing so tra-la-la. hard to write tra la la. Yeah, yeah he, 
so you were, you were saying for a second though his, his powers he can kind of like is it transmuting does he actually can he like become other things or is it all like disguises no he the, can become because he becomes an owl and flies away he turns a scarf into a snake and then he throws it at Sarah and then it was actually just a goblin the whole time so I think he can like <laughs> transmogrify you know okay. things or he's, and himself or he's or just again, an, it's an illusion yeah it could all just be like this is he's making you see these things yeah um he definitely at one point he um he walks right through sarah he like phases through her uh towards the okay, end of the so movie phasing. When, when they're in the uh, escher painting with the mm-hmm. stairs um he he's like singing and like while he's singing this song it looks like he's singing at her and then he just like keeps walking <laughs> like straight through mm. her who directed this? Jim Henson. Oh, Jim Henson directed it. Okay. So um, when you think of a, a coming-of-age fable about adolescent sexuality, you think the creator of Sesame Street. He's <laughs> he's your go-to guy. Yeah, yeah my childhood right. crush was Kermit, so that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I was wondering, you know, the, the script apparently was written with, you know, not specifically saying, you know, rock star or even a human. I think that the very original version of the script was just, he would be, the Goblin King would be another puppet. And I wonder, like, without... <laughs> Slightly without, less mucus. Yeah, <laughs> but without <laughs> David Bowie, I don't know that this movie works as well as it does. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine for sure. Yeah, like if it was just like the Gnome King in Return to Oz, you know, who's just like a pile of mold. And rocks. Do you remember Return yeah. to Oz? And he's like, don't you know that eggs are poison for gnomes? And then it's just like a, a heaping pile of shit. That's not an intriguing villain to work against for an entire Well, that's film. a good point because there are a number of movies that don't work. And I think it's for that reason. There's not a strong central relationship. Mm. And the dance between Jareth and Sarah is really is the whole movie. And it's exciting and scary. And without half of that, you're just going to have a collection of puppets. There's that. And also, I think you need him to... This is one of those movies where you need the villain. It's important that he shows up and literally has a on-screen relationship with the protagonist. But you need your villain, I think, to kind of send out his tendrils to feel like a presence even when he's not there. And and the Labyrinth is a threatening place, even when it's kind of whimsical, it never stops being a little scary and a little dangerous, just enough. And it's because that idea of like maybe he could just pop up up any uh, Jared could be anywhere. We know that he's got kind of a spy in the group with Hoggle, kind of working sort of for him. But I think the, the, like with the Gnome King is a good example. Like that villain in that movie. I mean, you kind of get little glimpses of of them throughout the movie, but basically he just shows up at the end of the movie as like, I'm the end boss, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but there's no, yeah, we haven't built up to him much. Right. Yeah. I mean, the relationship, I mean, part of it is that she's like in love, she's in love with him, you know, she's so curious about him erotically as a teenager. And so she's pursuing her brother begrudgingly because she has to get him back. But then she's also like, he represents the power and the sexuality and the authority that I don't have. So that I think like in my reading of Labyrinth, Jareth must be a sex symbol. It wouldn't work any other way. Well, yeah, you couldn't have a sexual relationship between her and a a giant latex puppet. That would be upsetting. (laughs) Too ahead of its time. Yeah. (laughs) But another thing I was going to say about the darkness of the labyrinth, there's, there's sort of like these different tiers of operation going on in there because there's like the intentional sabotaging that he's doing magically and sending out his minions to do. And then there's almost like the organic way that the labyrinth itself 
turns its participants inward. Like the little guy who like yells and like turns the tile when she's drawing on it with lipstick. Oh, um, right, right. Or like the worm that's like, don't go that way. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. There's these right creatures the that sort of like are, uh, they're underneath the mechanisms of the labyrinth. Yeah. Well, they just seem to live there. Like, you know, the, the worm is a good example because he's totally non-threatening. He's nothing but nice. And in fact, like, if only she had listened to him for a little longer, she would have shortcut right. the entire labyrinth. Right. Uh, Am I correct in that? Are there sort of villagers or something at some point? There's we the Goblin the City. Goblin City. There's a Goblin City. And they're and are they're, they're not happy with their current leadership. Is that correct? Or am I wrong about that? No, they, they well... I, we don't get much of a sense of like the labyrinth ecosystem, you know, that we okay. don't get a lot of deep lore, but we get, uh, you know, Jareth is in command of them. And when Sarah, Didymus, Hoggle and Ludo breach the walls of the Goblin City, then he like calls out everyone to come and fight. And there's this like battle sequence in the streets of the Goblin City. But I don't know that the goblins, they never really give you a sense of how the goblins feel about Jareth, although he's obviously ruling by intimidation. Um, I would think that he owes a little bit of a debt to a previous villain that we had. I'm trying to think of who he reminds me of a little bit, even though he's unique. He reminds me a little bit of Dracula. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Know, yeah. the, the seductiveness and also the fact that he kind of has like a jurisdiction, mm-hmm. you know? And a nice cape with a really high collar. <laughs> he, there's a little right. bit of something hypnotic with Dracula and, and with Jareth as well. I'm I'm sure that there is a line there, even if it's a unintentional line between those two characters. Yeah, I, I feel like they would sh- they would share some sort of like creative genealogy. Yeah, probably more so than any of the other. I was just thinking of, because we're thinking, you know, oh, what defines this villain? What are the key traits? And we keep coming back to the seductiveness. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, who have we talked about that really has that? And I think it's probably just Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking at sure who we've gone over in the last 13 episodes. Yeah, he's probably yeah. the only one. Yeah. Yeah, and what about the trickster nature of his oh, villainous yeah. villain? Yeah, I think I think that is a unique feature here too. That you know, like like we said, we sort of talked about it as his illusion powers, but he definitely goes out of his way to kind of mislead you. You know, he doesn't want her to solve the labyrinth, and he's not like physically. Th- he's never like, "Well, I'll just cut your head off, and you won't solve the labyrinth." It's always like, <laughs> "I'm going to lead you around. I'm going to have Hoggle. I'm going to instruct him to like lead you back to the beginning, or I'm going to fuck with." time and i'm gonna take time off the clock yeah i'm gonna give you this peach make you pass out and have a garbage fantasy (laughs) right (laughs) i love the garbage lady like oh get off my back (laughs) (laughs) you need this um which is such a great uh, metaphor for materialism Um, well and and that's what she and again it's an illusion right she she the garbage lady shows her what appears to be her bedroom it's a facsimile of it that's the scariest part of the movie when it all starts like tearing apart spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the film but (laughs) when the the fake bedroom starts crumbling and you and she's in the like trash heap that's always the scariest part of the movie for me the garbage fantasy mm-hmm. henceforth known the as the end of the garbage fantasy the third act. <laughs> that's, um, that's the Willy Wonka boat ride for you for this movie absolutely yeah uh, yeah you're right he is, a, he is a trickster I I like that he's bound by some kind of rules that he sort of messes with I, I don't, do we ever really learn why that is or that's just the way things roll here in the labyrinth yeah we don't it, it's not uh, the movie doesn't spend its time on like you know who is this guy really and what you know where did he come from um, there is some extended like comics and stuff where they try and delve into that stuff. I looked at that a little bit as research, but um, I don't know if it's considered canon, but he is the 
illegitimate son of a 17th century English lord. Uh, who I can like, see why they didn't delve into that. Who's like, he's spirited away to the labyrinth as a baby by like the previous labyrinth king called the King of Owls or something, the Owl King. Uh, his mom goes to try and rescue him, and I obviously fails. I didn't read all of this stuff, but they they tried That's pretty to good, fill Doug, in. for whatever you did read. Yeah, <laughs> you picked up yeah, a, a whole Wikipedia entry. <laughs> It's tough work. So they they have there's that stuff is out there. There are some like labyrinth related side things. There was uh, uh there was an NES game that was released only in Japan. <laughs> you know, you know, I had it on the uh, Apple Two GS. I had it? a labyrinth game. Oh okay, but yeah, you know, I think pretty much what you get of this character really is just this movie. And I know there was some talk of doing a prequel or a sequel or something, but I don't know how you do that, especially without uh, David Bowie. Nah. Yeah. But, now that'd be impossible. But yeah. you know, I was thinking in in terms of. Uh, like, what are the rules? Like, what are his limitations? It's always struck me that the phrase, you have no power over me, is what makes the labyrinth and his power crumble. And mm-hmm. so thinking in the sort of like moralistic framework, maybe, of what he represents to Sarah and the world that created this movie, which was like, oh, teenage girls should explore, but like not too much, you know, Mm -hmm. that there's like something about don't give in to your urges or don't feel like if like you can withstand whatever it is, you the the, the saying you have no power over me is this like reclamation, you know, but also it's it's like, yeah, it's self-actualizing, right? It's it's her literally saying like, I'm I'm a grown up now, you you know, this bullshit fantasy of yours is not going to persuade me anymore. Right, uh, and you can't control me, and yeah, right. right. It's I mean, the exact that's moment the coming of age moment, pretty much right there at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that at that point in the movie, so there, there's a read of the movie where the Jareth that you see throughout most of the movie is an illusion that he's not even really there, and that she goes through all of the trials of the movie, and then like because she's in the like the M.C. Escher painting with uh, you know trying to catch up to Jareth, catch the baby. And she takes this jump and she lands in like this twilight zone space where like, there's now just fragments of the buildings and the, and the stuff just kind of floating around. And we finally see Jareth and now he's like all in white. Like he's like a completely Mm -hmm. different looking character. Feathered. Super. Like it's like feathered on feathered. And that's when she has the moment of like remembering that the speech and that ending and his pitch to stop it is like, hey, I did everything you wanted, right? You asked me to take your brother. I took him. Mm -hmm. I turned time around for you. I did this, that, and the other thing. And all I ask in return is that you love me, right? It's it's all Mm -hmm. like, that's where it comes down to like this moment of him trying to manipulate her and she rejects it. Yeah. I love the read of him not maybe being there the whole time. And it makes me think of like that contact principle, like what if he just takes the form that your imagination needs him to take in order for him to be seductive and alluring? It's like the alien from the original Star Trek that always appeared to be like a beautiful woman to, you know, different people. That's right. Their ideal. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, I think when when he like when we find him in the center in that Escher, when the Escher environment fragments and we're just left in that floating space and he appears as the owl man, I think it's some sort of other plane, whatever the you know the walls of the Goblin City were guarding some sort of magical portal space because it's a transcendent. I mean, they're not in. 
I don't think like the everyday reality because when she finally set the everyday reality right of Labyrinth, they've gone like into the world within the world within the world, right? Or that this is all that this is all that there ever really was, right? Everything in the Labyrinth was an elaborate ah, yeah. illusion, and this is now we're this is what it really is. It's just just the green and screen studio, empty void in him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, the green screen studio and the the floating. She takes off the VR helmet. <laughs> you have no power over me. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I'm sure that space is uh, laid out in depth in the Dark Horse uh, comics <laughs> adaptation. It's space. They're in space. Yeah, yeah. literal space. So I, I, I like that kind of read of it because again, it, it kind of, I think it kind of dovetails back into this idea that everything he's presenting her is like part of it's a challenge, but it's also a sense of him going like, I want you to like show me you can best this challenge, right? Because his attitude towards her is not that mean, right? There's a little bit like we mentioned Willy Wonka before. There's like Willy Wonka throughout that movie. You know, when when some like dumb shit kid is going up the chocolate pipe, and his attitude is like, "No, stop, don't." You know, like yeah. he's he's got this like aloof thing where he's like, and Jareth has a little of that too, where he's like, you know, "Oh, turn back, Sarah," but he doesn't really mean it. Right. He wants her to like. He's like negging her. That's what he's doing. Absolutely. <laughs> Put on a little weight, have you, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> Jives. And he's definitely peacocking. So. Uh, yeah. And well, then he like takes time, just takes it off the clock. He just speeds it up. Yeah. And then she's like, it's not fair. And and he's like, what is fair? Uh, well, I think that's, again, that's part of the like, you know, we need to teach you to be an adult. Like, and it's not right. the hard way. Like, yeah. yeah uh, life's going to throw some shit at you. So sorry. Um, it's interesting, you know, his weaknesses. He is lonely. He is needy. And at the end, you really see that weakness and that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. In the owl suit. Well, he sings uh, like "I can't live without you." Like that's that last song. Yeah, we we can talk a little about the songs too because they. I mean, Bowie wrote them all, yeah. and they Those they songs rock. are killer. You uh, remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? <laughs> and Shakina, exactly. I will throw it to you because I bet you know the answer to where that comes from. I don't. Oh, I, I thought you'd know this one. No, um, is it like Shakespearean? Look, no, the, yeah, thou dost remind me of a, a wee bairn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it comes from, uh, I had to look it up. I didn't know this, but it comes from The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which is a 1940-something movie starring, I think, Cary Grant and Shirley Temple. Huh. And he like walks up to this lady and they just have this little interaction where it's like this, it seems like it's this cute little nursery rhyme they know. And he says, oh, you remind me of a man. What man? Man with a power. What power? Power of the hoodoo, not voodoo, but hoodoo. Who do you do do what remind me of the babe and or remind me of the man and I'll, I'll maybe I'll splice that audio in somewhere it's interesting to hear it but that's where it comes from it's just a reference to this movie oh how ah. random yeah so Jareth likes Shirley Temple I guess he's, I, he's got not a thing surprising he's got kids. you know now is he the only one who has songs in the movie? no he's most of them but not all of them. um okay who else sings the fireies do those the fire guys like, yeah, yeah they like take their oh. chili down with the fire guys. Uh, Those things are creepy. They're they're very creepy. Like their heads pop off. Yeah, I think the moment that got it. to me was like when he pops out his eyeballs eyes and like swallows them. You got all from your own head. <laughs> By the way, that voice is uh, the like the really high pitched one there. Uh, if you hear it, it sounds familiar. It's the same guy who does Elmo. Yeah. Oh, or did Elmo for a long time until interesting trouble. Um, <laughs> trouble with Elmo. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what when you hear it. It's like it's definitely Elmo. <laughs> But I think that was one of his first gigs. Or what's her face from uh, <laughs> Home Star Girl Runner. Squad? Yeah. Oh yeah, I love her. Um, <laughs> the ugly one. <laughs> so good. 
I, I, I one of my favorite relationships though in the movie is not just Jareth and Sarah, but I think Jareth and Hoggle. Like they're the only other two that like they have any like meaningful interaction. I think for the most part, like Jareth doesn't do anything with Ludo or Denimus. Um, and the way he kind of is like, like he didn't pick a henchman that was like, you know, yes, sir. Absolutely. Mr. Jared. Like he, this guy's weak like you, yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. Like this guy's not reliable as a henchman. It's interesting to watch him kind of like just work by threatening him with stench. <laughs> oh, the bog of eternal stench. Prince yeah. of the land of stench. And the plastic <laughs> jewelry that he loves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is That's that right. plastic thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, but he, I, I like that relationship because I think picking a henchman for a villain is, is tricky. Um, mm-hmm. Because if they are too um, obsequious, then they're, there's kind of not much to them. Yeah, and Hoggle, they're just Mike Pence. Yeah. Well, he's reluctant. <laughs> That's what makes it so compelling, is that yeah. Hoggle really finds a fondness for Sarah and then doesn't want to give her the peach and does it anyway. And then he has his own you know, moral journey that you, you feel for. He's kind of the heart in a way of the movie too. Like he's, you know, he's the, you do root for him in a lot of ways. Not that you're Mm -hmm. not rooting for Sarah, but like, yeah, she's um, a brat. You don't always root for her. Not at first. No. Well, that's part of the teenagerness, right? Is that you're like, Hey, you know, you need to grow up a little bit, kid. Like, you know, Jareth's not wrong about that. Her parents aren't wrong about that. Like she she does need to, to move beyond her selfishness. I think Ludo is the heart of the film. Oh, Ludo. He's the most gentle beast. Yeah. And you know what my other favorite character is, is the old man with the bird hat. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's my favorite. When she's like, young lady, (laughs) sometimes the way forward is also the way back. And I love that you have the... How's that for conversation? Yeah, like he immediately <laughs> takes the piss out of like it's so exhausting being your hat. Please leave a contribution in the little box. Yeah. Uh, see, I like the the little knight who's a dog who rides on top of a dog. Oh, Sir Dinimus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sir yeah. Dinimus. Okay, yeah. that's Sir he's adorable. Yes. Ambrosius. Uh, and of course, that dog is her dog, right? It's the same exact like sheep yeah. dog looking mm-hmm. whatever it is. I like him. I think it's a little shame that that Didymus doesn't show up until fairly. He's the last member of mm-hmm. the uh, the fellowship, mm-hmm. so to speak, to to arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't get a whole lot. The fellowship of the purity ring. <laughs> but he represents so much. Of, like he really represents what the labyrinth is about, and this is like a societal thing, right? That he he's the guardian of this bridge, and no one shall pass without his permission. But ultimately, she just has to ask for his permission. Like it's not all that serious. But he's like willing to fall on his sword for the honor of defending this bridge and for no like real reason. And it's like every, you know, little sphere of the labyrinth that she encounters that has its own obstacle or whatever. They're just these like contained conundrums that exist independently on their own in an ongoing way that like pit with all the hands that's just always there in the labyrinth doing its thing, waiting for someone to fall in it. Friggin' terrifying, right? The helping yeah. hands. She yeah. chose yeah. down. That is the least logical part of the movie. Like she's halfway down this scary black pit, and she's like, "I'll keep going down because I'm pointed that way." She chose she's not even down? pointed that way. Yeah, she's yeah. not even pointed that way. She's also pointed up. Yeah, because she's you know vertical. Yeah, I, I literally, I feel that that's like Terry Jones going like, "Well, we've got to see what's down in the bottom of the pit." So we, <laughs> she has to choose down for some yeah, fucking Chekhov's reason. pit. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. Like. And, and not only that, like the thing with Sir Didymus is a good example where it's like the solution to the puzzle is just ask for permission. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, 
that was it. Like, and all of the puzzles in the labyrinth. Ask for consent. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The lessons Uh, are there. (laughs) But yeah, all the puzzles are that, right? Every single puzzle, like the solution is always like, oh, it, it was, it was all there in plain sight. And the logic to solve it is always slightly a lateral move rather than like, you know, like the solution to the one who tells the truth and one who always lies. She thinks she solves it immediately. And of course is finds herself going down that pit. Because the solution to the puzzle was they're both lying. Like, don't trust them. These are people in the labyrinth. Yes. <laughs> yes. What was the... Remind me, because there's those two guys in front of those doors that tell the truth always lie, and they're like goat men on either sides of these shields. But what about the door knockers? What are they guarding? I think just... Remember the door knockers and one, like, has his ears plugged and one has his mouth full? I think those are just comic relief. Like, they're not a puzzle, but yeah, one has the ring through his ear, so he can't hear anything, and the other guy has the ring through his mouth, so he mumbles until she takes the ring out and talks to him. I think Mm. the solution was just to, like, force the ring back in that guy's mouth and then knock on the door so it opened and they could go past. Okay. But Mm -hmm. I can't remember. uh, I think just beyond that is the forest where they uh, meet the fireies. Right. So I think just just the way forward. I think there's anything specific behind him. But they're funny. And is it true that Hmm? Do you guys agree that when she draws on the tile with lipstick and then the little creature comes up and turns it around, he screams, your mother is a faggot? Oh, do is we that agree? like an urban legend? That's what he said? <laughs> yeah. Is this I, like, mean, like, I don't the think thing- it's, a, I don't know if it's an urban, I've studied that, I'm pretty certain that it's like, oh, your mother is a faggot. I'm pretty sure. I thought it was just like, he's. I co- have a hard time believing Terry Jones wrote that line. <laughs> or um, that Jim Henson allowed in. in the movie. I don't know. Put on the closed captioning. Um, I invite yeah. your listeners to track down that moment. Um, it's while the the like um, helmet samurais are using chewy monsters on sticks to harass Ludo. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is wandering around drawing arrows on the floors of the, the tile floors of the labyrinth and little monster creatures are turning it in different angles. All right. Well, uh, dear listeners, if you have an alternate interpretation of what that line could be, let us know. I assume or do you agree? It feels like it's like coded Muppet Italian gibberish is when I. Well, whenever you do gibberish, well, it's you're really seven, you're opening it's yourself seven up. seven easy syllables. So yeah, <laughs> send in your, your Rex folks. <laughs> Would love to see, and of course, this was a movie in the eighties. My little brothers, like we've all watched it on repeat over and over, and we all agree that that's what that guy is saying. Is this something that is known, or is this just between you and your brothers? I can't. It can't just be between me and my brothers. Like, okay, I love my brothers, but they're not that clever. I will say it it was a movie in the eighties, which which makes it possible (laughs) that there would be a random f bomb somewhere in there that takes you out of the movie, but probably not in this case. It's a little like that uh, moment in uh, Aladdin where uh, it sounds like he's uh, Aladdin is talking to to Roger the Tiger, and some people say it says like, "Oh, good girls, take off your clothes." Uh, mm-hmm. Which is not what he's saying, but it's the same. It's the same phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. It's the same phenomenon as take off your clothes for sure. I hope. This... I mean yeah. that or the little monster says your mother is a faggot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, by the way, I can say because I was one. You right, guys right. And, and you but see, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I still, I'm contorting my jurisdiction of uh, epithets <laughs> to reclaim. I'm right. contorting myself around it. Yeah, uh, yeah. still trying to discuss it. Uh, it also is a nonsensical sentence. <laughs> so I'm sure that's right. not what it was would said take a for lot that of reason. work to make that happen yeah yeah so i think we've done a pretty good job kind of laying out what makes jareth uh interesting uh again it's a sort of rock star status and his his uh, the, the sort of lolita relationship that he has with sarah is there anything else we we should say about him as is just like this makes him separate from other villains 
his hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his Tina Turner hair. Yeah. Oh, I also heard rumored that, like, the, um, this is probably urban legend, that the costume designer was, like, madly in love with David Bowie, and that's why there's all these, like, cod pieces. Ah, the bulge, yes. Yeah, ah, yes, bulge. our bulge. We did not talk enough about the bulge. Yeah. Um, I know that the bulge was deliberate, that I remember seeing that, that they, they wanted to put that in there, again, to, like, under, so we didn't need to underline it enough. Um, the the yeah. sexual component of, the, of this movie, but one, it's but a does cod Jareth piece. stuff. That's the question. Yeah, I I didn't know it was a cod piece until recently. I just assumed that like, man, you know, Ziggy plays guitar. Like, <laughs> no, that's a that's a that's a dance belt. I mean, that is a that is a padded, you know, home nest. <laughs> home. <laughs> I've sized up enough bulges in my day, and I know which ones are reinforced. Okay, <laughs> reinforced. Some slight reinforcement. Well, those goblins a, are carrying a around a lot of like pointy sticks and stuff. You you can't just leave it out there. You could get yeah. hurt. Is this a foil covered zucchini or what? What is this? <laughs> dance, magic dance. Um Yeah, I, I think that pretty much covers like what makes Jareth tick or is special. Any, anything else like that uh, I don't know, personally resonates with you, Shakina? Mm, I mean the contact juggling. Oh Again, yeah, we didn't talk so about that. Cool. That's amazing. I heard that they had so they had a contact juggler there on set who would like be on his knees in front of David Bowie, which is like so many people's dream. But he would be there <laughs> doing this contact juggling like up right. above his head. You know, like the, right. the the juggler was like just doing this puppetry. Yeah, they shoot and it. Contact to... juggling, that's with those glass uh, balls, right? That's yes. what that is, where you're sort of manipulating them. And, and it was all trick photography, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, just a guy in front doing it. Yeah, yeah. it's like literally an improv game where like his like arms are through like David Bowie's armpits, like just in front. <laughs> and and doing... now I'm going to make a Sunday, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, Bowie with these like do glass dream balls shattering all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I forgot to look. I was curious as to like why they wanted you know is this the kind of thing where like somebody saw that contact juggler and was like that's in the movie or i they think were... that was actually the case I, I i remember hearing this that some that that there are these like circus conventions where all the artists <laughs> get together from all over the world to share their skills and get booked in other circuses and i think this guy was like discovered there and brought into the film i might be making this all up but i remember him because i was very enchanted with contact juggling when I was like in junior high I, because I really wanted to understand how it happened and like now you yeah. can watch videos on it and stuff like that but but before YouTube I you know. love the idea of a circus convention and in my mind a kid his parents accidentally get tickets to the circus convention and <laughs> <laughs> not the circus oh no yeah. it's just like yeah booths and like comic yeah, a lot con of booths. <laughs> This car can seat 25 clowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a clown seminar. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, so, uh, Shakita, we have a couple little features we do on, on the show. You can play along here. So the, one of them is uh, we look at the character and try and figure out where they fit on the Dungeons & Dragons more alignment. Are they lawful, evil, neutral evil, or chaotic evil? Are you familiar with that system, or should we give you the quick primer? Um, I'm only familiar with it in terms of like the memescape. Yeah. So I don't know the origin story, but I understand yeah. the grid. Great. Yeah. yeah, most of our guests seem to just know it from the meme. So you get it. Yeah, uh, lawful evil is uses the system. Neutral evil, they kind of just do their own thing. And if people get hurt, it doesn't matter. And chaotic evil is they like to do evil. 
where would you put Jareth on that scale? I think, well, aside from kidnapping, kind of neutral evil. Yeah, he's definitely not, I don't think he's chaotic at all. He's not sadistic. Yeah. In any, I mean, there's a little I bit of I think there's like, a case to be made for lawful, though, because he's bound by, well, it's but, he, but he, he bends the rules. with the rules. He makes he the rules. He's the king. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it's that's true. That puts him more towards neutral if he's just sort of bending the rules. Yeah, I, like I say, he's not very mean. Like the worst thing he kind of does, other than kidnapping a baby, which is not great, um, <laughs> <laughs> not a great look. But he, um, in terms of the other characters, like you don't see him kill anybody. Like the most, the worst thing he does is like he tries to send you to a place where you will stink for life. Right, which is pretty bad. Which I mean, honestly, bad. like if, if it was a bog of just acid, I think that would be preferable. But he's not. I, I remember as a kid being like, "Oh my god, you'd stink forever. That's terrible." But he's not like Freddy Krueger, like dismantling a person. <laughs> you know, he's not. Right. Oh no, no, no. He does drop kick one or two goblins. I think. Yeah, if I recall, I, I think I think the instinct is right. He's probably somewhere in the somewhere between neutral to lawful. Neutral to lawful. Yeah, yeah but since he doesn't really, uh, he changes the laws to suit himself. Yeah, that's sort of. Makes right. that a little muddier. Yeah. Uh, and then the next thing we like to do is we like to fan cast. If we were to make get Labyrinth today. Oh, geez. Uh, I feel like we should abstain from this feature. Because wow. <laughs> how do you replace David Bowie? But we can do it. We can do we it. Can it's do a fun it. exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't know. Gosh. Adam Lambert would be a great uh, Goblin King. I don't know. <laughs> Who else would be? Who is like, yeah. the glam rock sensation yeah. i mean glamrock's not really as much of a thing now as it was no but there <laughs> are people with sparkle you know? oh sure like Kim uh, Petrus, like, uh you know, matt bellamy like, from oh go ahead i was gonna say matt bellamy from muse kind of does mm-hmm. that a little bit he's not like you know he yeah he's like glittery and can kind of sing like that but i don't know that i would picture him as as jareth you know yeah not, i think adam adam lampert's like my my go-to you know that he was like on american idol years ago and mm-hmm. he's like very i think he did fronts he play, Queen now. Yeah, yeah, and he played like uh, King. Didn't he play King Herod in the Jesus Christ Superstar like TV version? I know he did one of those recent live t- uh, TV. Yeah, musicals. something like. But yeah. anyway, yeah, because he's a, he's like the closest thing we have to glam rock right now. I think mm. that or you know who would be an amazing Goblin King is. Oh my God, I can't think of his, the Childish Gambino, Daniel Glover. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he would be incredible because he's so, he's he's like so sexy and glammy and sparkly and like kind of like kooky and weird and, and like hot, but like, you know, strange. Well, I see that's the kind of fan casting I can get behind because at least it's so different that you don't feel like you're just trying to recreate a moment. Yeah, I don't right. think you can. I don't, I, th- I think Bowie is like trying to recreate David Bowie is impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think you, all you can do is try to find like a really different interpretation. Like I, um, I don't. And in keep... lieu of a bulge, you have just dad bod. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it's my time to shine. <laughs> 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 Actually, I would nominate Shakina. I think she'd be awesome. Like you do a lot oh, of that oh. glam rock stuff. Yeah. So you've earned it. Oh, I'd play a fierce Goblin King. Sorry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been studying your whole life. Yeah, right. it's true. Um, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do we now have to so we have to do the matchup this is the, the other thing we do where we take this week's villain and we put them up against last week's villain oh. and um it's always interesting because by the time we get to like kind of a, a more uh, what was what was what was sauron it was sauron from lord, from of, the lord of the rings so we <laughs> often end up with these matchups with like... and then like er- <laughs> the villains on either side of cthulhu just like were how many seconds would they last yeah <laughs> <laughs> but sauron versus jareth how how would that go? 
I don't think very well for Jareth. <laughs> I think Jareth would be like, "I've brought you a gift. It's a crystal. It will show you your dreams." And then it'll be like, and he'd be gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sauron is interesting because he commands armies. Really, I mean, of goblins. Sort of, but what of goblins? And they both. Oh yeah, armies. yeah. We have different yeah. different oh. kinds of goblins here. Yeah, I think Jareth's mm-hmm. goblins probably wouldn't do too well. No, they would not last against, against the, the Urukai. <laughs> not not so good. Um, I, it's tough because you've got, it's always tough when we end up with these villains that are, that seem to be very mismatched in terms of their scale. Um, but Sauron is also sort of weak in and of himself. And he's, he's a disembodied, it's like a, a soul without a place to call home. Basically he's, you know, he's just an empty void and the ring itself. So the question really becomes like, could uh, Bowie get a hold of that ring and destroy it? If, if yeah, it I want to say him? this. You know, it's always fun to try to give the edge to the underdog, and because he's such a trickster, you know, when you think about Frodo getting to uh, Mount Doom, I mean, he's not powerful. Right. He's kind of just weaving and bobbing and, and making his way there. So I, you know, it's not inconceivable to think of Jareth kind of using his tricksterness to sort of. Yeah, do the same thing. Sure. I think I think Bowie's got two tricks up his sleeve. One is I think you know the ring kind of functions by temptation, and I could see Jareth not giving a shit. Like he's saying, like I'm already the Goblin King. I don't need your stupid ring. Like I could see the ring yeah. kind of not working on him. Yeah. And the other, it was a cock ring. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, maybe. It does. <laughs> yeah, it changes size to fit the wear. Um, <laughs> Makes your cock invisible. I know I don't want it. (laughs) Um, The other thing, though, is I could like his the way Jareth works is that his job is to like occupy you. Right. He gives you like a a task or typically like the the crystal ball with an illusion in it. And his the idea is to like just keep you like mesmerized by this thing and you are entranced by it. And therefore you are he's free to do whatever he wants. Right. He's got you trapped. And right. I can see Jareth like using that that crystal ball. Like oh, I'm gonna occupy because sometimes Sauron appears in a crystal ball in the in the Palantir. And I can see like Jareth like he uses one of those and like J- Sauron's just stuck staring at it. And he's like, "Got your ring. See you later." Well, yeah, we already know that he has a tendency to obsess. So it That's- would it's conceivable that you could fixate his mind on something else. Yeah. Hmm. So it's not necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily uh, an open and shut case for Sauron. Although no, it's very asymmetric, this matchup, actually. So you're yeah. right. You, you can go back and forth on this one. I don't know. I, I don't know who wins this one in the end. I'm giving it to Jareth just because we like David Bowie so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd love for him to win. We did the yeah. same thing when we had uh, we did uh, Blackbeard versus Slenderman. We were like, you know, but Blackbeard's so fucking cool. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I hate Slenderman. Yeah. Slenderman's Slender- a dweeb. It's like, whatever, Slenderman can teleport, big fucking deal. Blackbeard's a pirate, and pirates yeah. are cool, so there, he wins. Ha-ha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, cool, so we'll give it to Jared. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. Chikina, anything else you, you want to throw in here about Jareth before we start wrapping it up? Huh. Well, I think it's important that we all make friends with our inner Goblin King, because we all have this, like, seducer within us that's like trying to get us to go down the path of distraction or the path of illusion. And when you try to like shut that voice out, it just shows up in a new way. But if you're just like, I see you and you have no power over me, then you can sort of coexist. Wow. That is uh, a great uh, mental health message <laughs> for our um, listeners. That's awesome. No, I think that's totally true. That totally tracks with, 
Uh, what I know about that kind of stuff, if you if you run from it, right, what you resist persists, that kind of thing. Yeah. So own it, you know, self-knowledge, and mm-hmm. uh, and then you have control. That's the control you have. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of reminds me of Shakina. Like if, if you should, uh, listeners, you should follow Shakina on Twitter. She's at Shakines. Um, and she's a good follow. And the funny thing is like a third of it is like just really funny. And the third of it is like super like meaningful and inspirational. And the other third is like, I'll burn this fucking place to the ground. <laughs> and it's so awesome. Two thirds of it are meaningful and inspirational. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got a little bit for every mood, you know, yeah. what we need. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so, so much for coming on, Shakira. Yeah, it's been We'd fun love to hang out with you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. And uh, I think uh, that'll do it. Do you want to do, uh, we'll save admin for later, I guess. We'll we'll record that later because we don't need to bother Shakina with us talking ourselves up. Okay, I'm <laughs> going to stop the recording on my end. Just stop, stop the audio. All right. Yeah, I'm off yep. the air. Bye. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Thanks. Great, so Shakina has just signed off, so if she gets really quiet, it's not because she doesn't like us. So yeah, we have a, a review we wanted to share, as is our want. Sure. and uh, On Apple Podcasts. And uh, we would encourage you all to uh, give us a, a review as well. Um, not for our own uh, our ego, but because leaving reviews is one of the best ways to get other people to see that the podcast exists and hopefully uh, come on this journey with us. So Yeah, but also for our ego. But also for our ego, because we're monsters. Now, you know this is a legitimate review because it's four out of five stars, <laughs> which I appreciate because that means it's a real review. You know, when, that's a milestone when you get your first non-five-star review. It's not, it's not from not your, your family. Friends. No, uh, this cracked me up because I, there's a typo in the uh, headline here. So uh, the headline is, fun listen, it should be keep them coming, E-M coming, but it's reversed, so it's fun listen, keep me coming. Which, which is very appropriate for the Jareth episode. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, and uh, the it's from TKC in the Hizzy. Hello. Uh, and this person writes, I really enjoy a podcast, but evil. The characters slash people that are the subject are always new and interesting. Doug does a great job with providing background and offering the audience some surprises on the villains we all thought we knew well. Dan provides the everyman perspective, i.e. no homework pre-show, but has great recall from that one time he watched that one uh, show that included the week's subject. True. That's very Um, fair. I am constantly talking to the guys as if we were having a real convo. They have even had a few guests who bring a fun POV to our two hosts. Definitely true today. And uh, I usually listen to the pod on 1.5 speed while on my morning walks, and their voices don't get too high-pitched or annoying. So that's a fun perk. Even mine, which is already high-pitched and annoying. Um, (laughs) And already at 1.5 speed. I was going to say, we're not talking fast enough for you? Enjoy (laughs) life. Take Enjoy your walk. (laughs) Listen to us talk like regular people. I enjoy the face-off and the D&D alignment segments. Always a good thought exercise. Uh, They've convinced me that my three-year-old is definitely chaotic evil. All three-year-olds are chaotic evil. I know this from experience. Um, I'm looking forward to more villains, gentlemen to evil clink. Uh, that's uh, very a, nice. Yeah, thank very you, nice. TKC so, in the hizzy. Thank you. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, go find us at 
podcast but evil on Twitter. That's uh, that's our main online presence. Please interact with us there. We've had uh, some uh, folks uh, contact me about possible suggestions, and I will put those into the hopper because there were some good ones in there. Uh, so oh, what did we get? Uh, well, I don't want to say in case we don't uh, get to it. I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody, but we'll. Oh. But um, I, I think we'll get to. All, we have a long list of possibilities, but uh, yeah, maybe some of these will show up sooner rather than later. So. Uh, and by the way, I should note, you know, we are a little bit ahead of our schedule, so that review came in. Uh, now, but or uh, this podcast won't air for a few weeks. So if you don't hear your review right away, don't freak out. Yeah, it's no, coming. we're just trying to stay ahead of the game in case uh, you know uh, something happens and life gets in the way and we can't record right away. At least uh, your listening experience is interrupted. We'll be there uh, releasing every Tuesday uh, for the foreseeable future. So I think that Who are we covers- doing next week, Doug. Oh yeah, we're doing Cobra Commander. Ah uh, yes. Cobra Commander! The man without a face. Yeah, Or a plate for a face, I guess. Now it was between him and Skeletor, and obviously Skeletor would be a lot of fun, but we wanted to get a little bit outside of the fantasy medieval-ish realm where we've been for the last couple of episodes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we've got Cobra Commander coming up, and then, uh, assuming all goes to plan, I think we're doing Idi Amin after that. The real-life Cobra Commander. That's right. So, uh, (laughs) hope you enjoy this one, and uh, thanks again to our guest, uh, Shakina. Again, she's at Shakines on uh, Twitter. Uh, And uh, until next time, gentlemen, uh, to evil. Clink. Clink. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. What man? Man with the power. Good morning. Hmm? Greetings, greetings.